And as uh, people are filtering in here, getting ready to take a seat, let's have a quick word of prayer. As always, Lord, you teach, we listen through your spirit. Help us to understand and grow, Lord, in your name. Amen. Um, Romans 8 is our continuing study here through the book of Romans. And as we mentioned, I think it was last week, kind of getting to this progression. And just let me repeat this real quick to have you understand why we're at this point where we're at. Romans 1 establishes the fact that God created the heavens and the earth. That's the purpose of Romans 1. Romans 2 then goes on to say, since God created the heavens and the earth, he's the only one that is able to be the judge of morality because he's the one that created it. Romans 3 lays down the fact that we're all sinners, but Romans 4 gives us the answer that we have salvation through Jesus. Romans 5 goes on to say, not only do you have salvation in Jesus, but that's how you live a godly life is through Jesus. Romans 6 says that we are dead to sin. And then Romans 7 is the practical of how we live in this life. Yes, we're dead to sin. Yes, we understand Jesus saves us. How do we live it? Romans 8 kind of continues this fact. Well, what happens here with Romans 8, it starts out with this wonderful passage, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. That beautiful understanding of there's no condemnation. That Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That Romans 7, I can go out and live a life for him. But now what do I do with this condemnation? Well, what is condemnation? I just want to start out with that. Because in the Christian's language, we use these two different terms, conviction and condemnation. And sometimes we overlap them a little bit. I've got a slide here I want to show you real quick. Alan, can you put that first one up? Just to kind of break down the difference here of what we're talking about. Conviction is from God. This is the Holy Spirit convicting us. The purpose is to expose, the purpose is to correct issues that are wrong in your life. That's conviction. And it points us towards an answer. It shows us the answer. Conviction is that voice that I hear. I can only tell you what it goes on in my mind, and I'm assuming it's very similar for everybody. But it's that voice that I hear that says, James, spend more time with me in prayer. It's that voice that tells me, James, we, we could... We could do better at this. You know, here's some leading, here's some guidance, here's some direction. And it's showing me an answer, how to be a better man of God, how to be a better husband, a better father. But it's also that voice that says, James, that's sin. And that's wrong, and that's going to hurt you. And if you go down that path, that's going to cause problems in your marriage. If you go down that path, that's going to hurt your walk with Christ. If you go down that path, that's conviction. It is exposing things that could be damaging. It's also exposing things that I need to work on. It's correcting me, and it's showing me the answer, and that's from the Lord. Now, condemnation. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. This is from fill in the blank, from your flesh, from sin, from Satan. The purpose is to destroy us emotionally, spiritually, and physically. It doesn't focus on an answer. It focuses on a problem. Conviction is showing me a path to go to help me be a better man of God. Condemnation is just constantly reminding me of the failure I am. Condemnation is the voice that I hear that says, you're never going to figure this out. Why pray? It doesn't do any good. It doesn't change anything. You know what? Everything's going to fall apart. The marriage is going to fall apart. The kids are going to fall apart. The church is going to fall apart. Why read? It doesn't change anything. Yeah, you're going to read and what's going to happen. Yep, you're doing good now, but guess what? One week from now, you're going to be right back to where you were. That's condemnation. Those are lies from the pit of hell. And you see the difference. Conviction is honest. Sometimes conviction hurts, but in a good way. Showing us the answer, exposing and correcting from the Lord. Condemnation from flesh, from the sin, from Satan, whatever 
to destroy us emotionally, spiritually, physically. And it's only focusing on the problem. It's not giving you an answer. Romans 8.1 makes it clear there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Jesus is not here to condemn us, not to attack us. He's here to point out our sin and say, I want to help you with this. Go to John 3, please. John 3. Let's talk about how Jesus looks at this. John 3. See, in John 3, we probably have the most famous verse in all of Christianity. John 3, 16. But dare we say, John 3, 17 is almost more important than John 3, 16. Because look at John 3, 16. We know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. But look at verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, they have been done in God. Conviction is God shining the spiritual flashlight in your life, showing you things that you need to work on, to fix, to change. Condemnation is Satan, the flesh, the enemy, whoever, just constantly condemning you for who you are and that nothing's ever going to change. Condemnation focuses on the problem. Conviction focuses on the answer. Jesus says, I have come to give you the answer. I have come to help you fix this problem. And what a beautiful picture that is. And that picture is what? That we can be free. We can be forgiven. Now, here's the problem with forgiveness. In the years I've been out here, I run into people that can't believe they're forgiven. They just can't. They can't understand this concept of forgiveness and how God can forgive them. Boy. To walk in that life of not realizing you're forgiven. I just got a few verses I want to show on this. Can you just go real quick to the next slide here? Listen to these passages. Let's let them bless you. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. I told the 830 service, I was trying to explain that to my boys recently. They couldn't get that. As far as the east is from the west. They just couldn't get it. And, you know, and I tried to say, okay, you know, look at a globe. You can go north, and then you start going south, north and south, east, east and west. Don't meet. That's the point. That's where the sins are at. And it just gets even better. Isaiah 38. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. Behind his back. Hebrews 8.12. For I will be merciful to the unrighteous, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. I love that. So he puts them as far away as the east is from the west. He puts them behind our back. And his lawless deeds he remembers no more. What a beautiful picture that is. That idea of God forgives and God forgets. So when you're struggling in condemnation, and you've already given to the Lord, and he's already forgiven you, but you, you can't let it go, and you're walking in condemnation. So you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm still struggling with this. I'm still struggling with what I did years ago, weeks ago, months ago, hours ago. Lord, can you forgive me? And you've already been forgiven. He's already forgiven you when you asked the first time. But in condemnation, you're still carrying it. The Lord hears that and says, I don't know what you're talking about. That's fascinating. Now, at the first service, I said, let me try to explain this to you. 
And I said, if you're a note taker, do this. Look at your bulletin. There's a spot for notes. And there's three words that can explain this very simply. And those three words are this. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. I love Dawn. Dawn loves me. We still remember when we've hurt or wronged each other. I can forgive people, but it's not like that supernaturally disappears from my mind. Because the enemy likes to bring that back up. I've, I've hurt people, and I can tell them I'm sorry, but they still remember that. So for God to do this, it's kind of amazing. So I, there's this one song I like, and I mentioned this band to you uh, a couple weeks ago. So here's two references. It's a Christian band called The Waiting that was popular in the 90s. And they have this one song, and I just want to read you just some of the lyrics to it. And I just love what this says. It says, maybe I could understand how you called the darkness light. Maybe I could understand how you made the waters flee. Maybe I could understand how you gave all creation life. I'm an educated man. It's not too hard for me to see. But there's something about you that confuses me yet. First you forgive and then you forget. How do you, Lord? Oh, do, Lord, tell me. How do you do that? And he says later on, I've known your forgiveness for each and all of my days, but the way you've forgotten leaves me truly amazed. I love that song. And Alan's good. At the 830 service, I read that. He found the song and he played it as people were leaving. So if he's going to do that here at the 10, as you're leaving, you'll hear the song. It, it, it just It's an amazing thing when you stop and you think about that. God forgets. We carry that burden of failure and shame and guilt God forgets. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I absolutely love that. So now that we understand the difference between condemnation and conviction, now we can move on and realize how we can have no condemnation. Now, the problem is this. As you read verse 1, let's read it one more time. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, I... I don't like teaching on this because I think it's just distracting sometimes and it leads places where instead of focusing on what we're supposed to be learning, it focuses on all these other questions. If you have like an NIV or an NLT translation, it does not have that second part there of who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit, which is a real shame. Because if you're going to figure out how to not have condemnation, the answer is found in verse 1. You walk in the spirit, not the flesh. Now, we just have to hit this real quick, and every now and then we bring this up just to kind of use this as a teaching point. If you have King James or New King James, that passage is probably going to be in there. If you have NIV or NLT, it's probably not. You may have a reference that says that some manuscripts have it and some don't. Real quick, what happens is there's different Greek texts that the translators use to translate the New Testament, which was written in Greek, to English. Well, some the translators like this certain text, and so they used that, which has that verse in it. Some other ones did not have that text in it. It's called the NU, and so therefore they did not translate it over. That's why sometimes when you read NIV or NLT, it may have different passages missing. Is because the text they used to translate, they didn't feel there was enough evidence to have that passage in there. It creates all these other questions, and the problem is it just creates distraction, where really the answer is right there. How do we not have condemnation? We walk in the spirit and not the flesh. That's the idea of walking. If you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to get a copy of that. Listen to it online or grab a CD. Because we talked about what that means to walk in the spirit. We use this example and I'll repeat it. If the guy has two dogs, which one is stronger? The one he feeds. 
you have two natures, if you will. You have a flesh nature and you have a spiritual nature. Which one of them is stronger in your life? Well, it's the one you feed. If you feed the flesh, your flesh will be strong. Your desires to do things in the flesh will be strong. You'll be moving away from the Lord. If you feed the spirit, the spiritual side will be strong and your fleshly side will be starved to death. See, that's what happens. If you feed the fleshly side, your spiritual side starves. That's why the Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the spirit starves that fleshly side of me that wants to do things that aren't right. So what happens is when somebody comes into me and they say something to the effect of, I don't have joy, I don't have peace, I don't have direction, I don't like my life. Well, what are you feeding? If you're feeding that fleshly side, your spiritual side is going to be dry. And guess what the fruits of the Spirit are? Love, joy, peace, etc. So if you're not walking in joy and peace, it's probably because your spiritual man is dying. It needs to be fed. It needs to be taken care of. Well, this sin problem, it's always a struggle, isn't it? So, how do we stay out of the flesh? Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. has made me free from the law of sin and death. See, I can be set free from sin and death. That's what we talked about in Romans 6. That's what Romans 7 tried to tell us to do. Romans 8 is saying, you can do this. Let's talk about being free from sin. Go with me to John 8. John 8. Let's talk about how Jesus says we can be set free from sin. Romans 6 mentions this idea of being free from sin numerous times. That when we die to the flesh, die to this nature, we're set free. See, we're enslaved by sin. As Romans 7 said last week, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't. It's this slavery of sin. Where, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to think that. I don't want to say that. But I find myself still thinking it, still doing it. Still saying it. And, and I feel trapped in this. Who's going to save me from it? It's going to be Christ, as we read last week in Romans 7. Jesus is the only one that can set you free. Now, how does he set you free? Well, John 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now we need to break this down real quick. Verse 31. You have to abide in the word. What's it mean to abide? To remain, to stay. We taught on abiding a few weeks ago. When you abide in Jesus, remain in Jesus, stay close to Him, things just go better. How do you remain close to Jesus? Remember the five things we always talk about. It's word, prayer, service, worship, fellowship. Staying close to Jesus. We use the example of Peter. That when Peter followed at a distance, that's when he got into trouble. When we follow Christ at a distance, why do we think there's going to be joy and peace? We need to abide. We need to remain in Him. Number two, verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you three, free. There's three truths in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is truth, God's Word is truth, and Jesus is truth. So when you look at those three truths, if you follow those three truths, you'll be okay. Jesus is truth. Stay close to Christ. God's Word is truth. This Bible, this, this gives us direction in life. The Holy Spirit is truth. Let Him lead and guide you. 
But what happens is, we don't remain in Jesus, we don't abide, we don't follow the truth, and then we wonder why we're in bondage to sin. Here's the problem. Some people don't even realize they're in bondage to sin. They don't. They think this is just life. Well, look at the answer in verse 33. Isn't this fascinating? They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, we're Jews, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Now think about verse 33 for a second. The Jews are saying they've never been in bondage to anyone. Did they forget Exodus? 430 years as a slave. Did they forget Jeremiah? 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Do they not realize even as they're saying this statement, they're under the hand of Rome. They're not free. My point is this. I run into people that are in slavery to sin. They don't even realize it. They think they're okay. And they have confused themselves. They've convinced themselves that everything is fine. And Jesus is trying to say here, verse 34, you're a slave of sin and I can make you free. Boy, he can make you free. The question is, do you want it? See, I think sometimes people like being a slave to sin. They like that passing pleasure of sin. They like the little bit of fun that it brings. It's a dangerous spot to be in because as you walk in the flesh, you will die spiritually. You will. And that's what Paul's trying to say here in Romans is you're going to die spiritually if you keep going in the flesh. So the answer is found in Christ, verse 3. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh. The law couldn't save you. We talked about that last week. The law was good. The law served its purpose, but the law cannot bring you to the point of salvation. So, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus said, the only way to take care of this is me to come down and do it myself. He came down, was born on this world, lived 30 years, had public ministry for three years, and then defeated sin. He condemned it in the flesh. He took care of it at the nest, if you will. It it reminds me of when you have those wasp nests. And you can just kill one wasp here and there, but until you take the nest out, there's always the chance of being stung. Jesus said the only way to deal with the sin issue is to come down in the flesh and take care of it at the source. That's exactly what Christ did. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, now we're back to that walking. It's a choice. Walking denotes effort. So therefore, I choose to walk in the Spirit. I choose to walk in the things of God. I don't have to. I choose to. And if I choose to not walk in the Spirit, and I choose to walk in the flesh... I'm just asking for problems, because look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. See, the mind is such a powerful thing. You determine what you want to think about. It really is that powerful. And if you choose to go down that that mind of flesh, what do you think is going to happen? There's not going to be joy. There's not going to be peace. There's not. Because you're letting your mind be on the things of the flesh, and the flesh is death. I have to choose to let my mind be on the Spirit. It's a battle where I choose to say, Lord, I want to dwell on this. I can dwell on fear. I can dwell on worry and anxiety. I can dwell about what happened in the past and how people have hurt me or how I've hurt people, and I can walk in shame and guilt and bitterness. 
I can dwell on the present, on everything that's wrong in my life, and woe is me. Or I could dwell on the future, on this worry of what if. That's all flesh. That will suck the joy and peace right out of your life. Or I can dwell in the spirit. When I think of the past, I can say, Lord, I'm forgiven for what I've done. And I can forgive those that have done that to me. I can walk in the spirit in the present and not say, woe is me, but say, Lord, what can I do today, right now, for you to have fulfillment in this world? And concerning the future, yeah, don't worry about that. The Bible says, do not worry about tomorrow. Jesus may return before this message is over. We have nothing to worry about. See, that's flesh versus spirit. How do you do that? That's one thing it's easy to say. How do you do that? Go with me to Philippians 4. See, Romans 7 and Romans 8 is trying to give you practical steps to say, what does this look like? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. Philippians 4, please. How do I keep my mind focused on the things of God? Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Two words there to focus on. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Nothing is worth worry. It's not. How often do we allow worry and anxiety to control us? Anxious for nothing. But everything to prayer. See, I've noticed a lot of times as believers we do this. We keep the little things, the medium-sized things to us, and we only give God the big things. Because I can handle the little things, Lord. I can handle the medium-sized things. Those big things I'll give to you in prayer. But what I've noticed in my life is little things become medium things, become big things pretty quick. And if I don't give the Lord the little things, those overtake me. So I need to give the Lord everything in prayer so that way I'm anxious for nothing. Just think about this. How simple is this? Are you allowing any type of fear, worry, or anxiety to control you? You give it to the Lord in prayer. And how do you pray, verse 6, with thanksgiving? It's not being silly. It's being honest. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do in this situation. I thank you how you're going to answer. I thank you for the peace that you will give me. I thank you for whatever happens. I know your will will be done. Lord, I'm going to, in faith, thank you for this. And then what happens, verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We want verse 7, we want peace, but we're not willing to do verse 6. So if you're anxious for things and not giving it over to him in prayer, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to have peace. Peace only comes when you are anxious for nothing through prayer and thanksgiving. So when somebody comes in and they want to talk, and they do not have peace, my answer is you need to give that to the Lord in prayer. I've mentioned to you before that for so many years I would talk to people, and we'd have these long, drawn-out conversations. And we would just talk through the issue. And at the end of the phone call, they would usually say, Thanks, Pastor, I feel better. And then about a week later, we would repeat the same conversation. Thanks, Pastor, I feel better. And it became this cycle. And I started realizing, it's my job, it's my responsibility to give you the tools to say, I want you to have a lasting peace. Not a temporary fix by talking to someone. And that lasting peace comes through you in prayer, with thanksgiving, being anxious for nothing. Because look at the end of verse 7. Your heart and mind will be guarded by Christ. If we allow fear, worry, and anxiety to get the best of us, we're walking in the flesh, we will not have peace. 
What does this look like practically? Well, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Dwell on those things that are good. Use the power that you have in your brain to dwell on what is good. And I'm not talking the power of positive thinking. I'm saying I choose what I want to dwell on. As I've mentioned to you before, when I'm driving to and from, I choose what's allowed to come into my ears. I can spend that time in prayer. I can spend that time listening to worship music. Good things that will help me and bless me and grow me. When I'm sitting at home, I can choose to dwell on my time in the Word and in prayer. I can choose to dwell on those things. I can also choose to say, boys, let's go outside. Let's just enjoy nature and creation and play rather than sitting there finding something to watch on TV or wasting my day. I can choose to do things that are lovely good. I can choose to have good godly fellowship. Or I can choose just to sit there and stew. It's a choice that I make. And when my mind then begins to wander, verse 7, Christ guards my mind. Corinthians says, I take that thought captive. And I say, I don't want to go there. Here's the problem. Some of us want to go there mentally. I don't know what it is. Some people like worrying. They like thinking it through. They like being fearful. They like being anxious. I don't want that. I want peace. Verse 6. Verse 9. These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Lord, that's what I want. I want peace. I don't want to analyze every situation. I don't want to look at it from every angle. I don't want to think about every possible scenario. I want to trust Jesus, give it to him in prayer, in thanksgiving and faith, and trust that he's going to take care of it. And then I want to take peace. What a good deal. I give God fear, worry, and anxiety, and he gives me peace. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, peace. Because I'm walking in the Spirit and not walking in the flesh. Because let's go back and finish this up. We're going to get to verse 11 here, hopefully, this morning. See, verse 5, we already talked about. We live in the Spirit. And that's what makes the difference. Because what happens if we don't live in the Spirit? Verse 6, for to be carnally minded. Some of your translations may say fleshly minded. Is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's our word again. Listen, I love you, but if you walk in the flesh and you're feeding the fleshly man, you're not going to have life, and you're not going to have peace. You're going to slowly spiritually die. But if you feed the spiritual man or woman in your life, you will have peace. I was just talking to someone this week, and their world is, was falling apart, physically falling apart, emotionally falling apart, spiritually falling apart. It was completely falling apart. And they just got more bad news on top of bad news. They called me up, and we're talking. But there was no fear, there was no worry, there was no anxiety. As we're talking through this, he said, you know, I have peace. And and he goes, I don't know how I have peace, but I have peace. That's our Philippians 4, 6. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. You remember what we said about how can God forgive and forget? And the answer is, I don't know. How can you have a peace that surpasses all understanding in the middle of a storm? I don't know. Because if you would understand it, it's not a peace that surpasses all understanding. And as I'm talking to this guy, he just has peace. It's like, Lord, that's what it is. That's what it is. And where does that peace come from? Let's go put it us all together. Abiding in Jesus. Walking in the truth of the Spirit, God's Word, and Christ. 
dwelling on what is good, noble, pure, just, holy, etc. Prayer, thanksgiving, peace. Now listen, you may not struggle with that, but I'm willing to bet that you know somebody who does. I'm willing to bet you have a friend, a family member, a relative, co-worker, fill in the blank, that comes to you on a somewhat regular basis with their world falling apart. And you are walking in Christ, so therefore you have this aura of peace, and they feel better talking to you. What can you do for them? You teach them to abide in Jesus. You teach them to pray. You teach them to seek the Lord. You teach them to go to Christ and remain in Him, to walk in the Word and the Spirit in Jesus. You teach them to say, dwell on this. I've done that to people. I remember one guy in particular. He said, yeah, but it doesn't work for me. The system works. It works. But here's the truth. The system works and you will have peace. But are you going to make that peace momentary? Or are you going to make that peace everlasting? Because I've had momentary peace and I feel good for about five minutes. Then I start thinking about it again. Dwelling on it again. Worrying again. Oh, nope. going to take that thought captive and I'm back to peace. And then my day becomes this up, down, up, down, up, down. Now, part of faith is trusting the Lord no matter what's going on. Just trusting Him. The system works. Because verse 6, to be fleshly minded is death. Spiritually minded is life and peace. Ask yourself, are you a fleshly or spiritual person? We want to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. If you weren't with us last week, once again, grab that copy. Because we talked about what it's mean to walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Because verse 7, the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is fighting against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. See, when you walk in the flesh, you're really saying, I want to fight you, God, every moment of the day. Because you, through your spirit, are convicting me to bring peace, and I'm fighting that. You will never win against God. My mom used to have a magnet on her fridge that said, never try to outstubborn your mother. And... We try to do that with the Lord. We fight Him. We're going to lose. But yet what happens is this. We're not subject to the law of God, verse 7, so we're fighting Him. There's no peace. How simple is this? But the follow-through is hard. Because look at verse 8. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you walk in the flesh, the joy and peace in your life will be sucked dry. You will not be pleasing God, and you're going to be struggling spiritually. Verse 9, but you are not. See, he tells the church in Rome now, but that's not you. I hope that's not you today. I hope you're going to take these things and put it into practice. Because that's not you. Verse 9, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That's Romans 6. Sin has been killed at the cross. I just read this great passage in Galatians, and I know I've read it before, but it finally hit me this time, where Paul said, I have crucified myself to the world. I've died to the world. Wow, I want to say that. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Listen to all these words that we've said this morning. Life, peace, etc. Life and peace and joy come from walking in the Spirit. Death comes from walking in the flesh. 
You choose which path you want to go down. Are you going to walk in the Spirit and just put this all together? Are you going to remain, abide near Jesus? The farther you get away from Christ, the worse it gets. Are you going to walk in the truth of the Spirit, God's Word, and Christ? Are you going to dwell on what is good? Are you going to, in faith, pray and give over the worry, fear, and anxiety to the Lord and walk in faith with thanksgiving? When the mind begins to wander, are you going to take that fault captive? That's a question you have to decide. That's what walking in the Spirit looks like. Because the opposite of that, of walking in the flesh, carnally minded, it's death. It will kill you. It will kill you spiritually and take the joy out of walking with the Lord. It really will. What Paul is trying to tell us here in Romans 8, don't. Don't do it. Don't go down that step of the flesh that will lead to condemnation, that will lead to just the lack of joy. And I want to walk in the Spirit. And then he tells us how to do it. Marvin, come forward here for the final song. Let's pray for that.